Welcome back to the Milk Duds Podcast, Election 2020. Welcome to the Milk Duds Podcast. Uh, it's been a while, but we are back live in the living color. Uh, what's going on, fellas? I'm good, man. What up, man? Uh, good to be back. A, we got Brother Jay. We got Brother D up in here. Uh, we are expecting some guests um, shortly, um, but we're going to talk about what everyone else is talking about currently, and that is the 2020 election. Uh, how Did you guys see Joe Biden as the winner? So originally, I was incredibly anxious about the results, and I was yeah. And even though even though the polling had said that Biden had pulled away to like a ten point lead, there was no way that I was seeing that happening. And what I was thinking is that he was probably going to have like a four, three or four percent lead, and that he would pull away in the electoral college. So rather than stress about it, I didn't even watch the results, the returns on election night. I just went to bed like I wasn't even going to do it. I wasn't even going to do it to myself because I did the exact same thing on 2016, which is funny. I just have zero faith in white people. So I'm, I mean, just to be completely transparent, I have zero faith in white people to do the right thing. Right. The, the crazy thing is, I have a sim, you know similar story. You know, I but I couldn't help it, so I had to keep going back and look, go back and look. But when I woke up Wednesday morning, and you know, it still looked like you know nothing changed. I had wrote this whole dissertation on what the fuck is wrong with white people, <laughs> um, basically saying that you know are. Are, you know, did we miss something? Are they mm-hmm. really, you know, that entrenched in, in what this dude is doing that, you know, it's okay? Um, but luckily, you know, on the third day, as they say in church, um, it started to turn around. And the, the, the part that I enjoyed the most is because it took so long Trump was muddling in mess and, and being upset and he had to do, he couldn't do nothing but live with it. Right. Uh, like a slow death. It was like when uh, Mike Tyson got beat by Buster Douglas. He just could not believe this shit was happening. Yeah. And I think that's part of, that's part of the slow build in the days after election day. Um, because whew, that was a lot of drama and stress and doom scrolling to get to this point of relief. And even that relief is short lived because what we're experiencing right now from Donald Trump is is if if this was taking place in another country, we would call it a coup attempt. Mm-hmm. And major media sources are not calling it that. Everybody is genuflecting to to the puerile demands of a petulant septuagenarian, which mm-hmm. is baffling to me. <laughs> So, so uh, anybody that's listening, septuagenarian is someone who is uh, 70, 79 years old. <laughs> Bro, y'all get on my nerves. <laughs> hey, man, we're we, we here for the people, you know? And so, you and know. I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm saying like, we're just here to, you know, raise the consciousness. So, you drop the words and, you know, we scramble to Google. You man, these words, brother. Man, these words. <laughs> Mayonnaise is is what is is welcome to um, you know to the to the discourse in my opinion. Well, one thing that um, 
you you guys probably recall is for months I've been saying that Joe Biden was going to win in a landslide. Mm-hmm. And um, it wasn't because um, I'm a Nate Silver fan or watching 538. I think he gets stuff wrong too much for people to kind of mortgage their house on his shit, you know? It's yeah, just- and I listen to a lot of Nate Silver as well. Yeah. And even I believe that Nate Silver was way too optimistic. Way, way too optimistic. The reason why I, I believed that uh, Joe Biden will win is because I saw um, what we will talk about a little bit later, uh, what seems to be a coalition that harkens back to uh, his days where uh, as a Democrat, you know, he was palling around with Strom Thurmond. Uh, also back to uh, what many would say in the in the 60s where you had, you know, still Dixiecrats in the Democratic Party uh, mm-hmm. to, to a certain extent, um, where Black people had decided that this guy was racist. And so we were going to vote for a Demo- whatever Democrat anyway. What I think that signaled to white people through a summer where they, in Ibram Kendi's book was number one or number two, uh, How to Be Anti-Racist was number one or number two, um, to right fragility is mm-hmm. in a place where a part of your vote is signaling um, whether you are racist or not. Right. And, and so, e- yeah, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. So, go ahead. So, so even in the, in the Republican National Convention, I thought that there was a large part of what was going on in the Republican National Convention that was not trying to convince black people or even the platinum plan. I don't believe it was trying to convince black people to vote for Donald Trump. I think it was signaling to white people that, hey, you can actually vote for Trump and not be racist because this is the guy who did um, uh, uh, criminal justice reform. You know, this is the guy who uh, freed Alice Johnson. You know, this is the guy who um, is putting forth the platinum plan. You know, um, he's trying to elevate Tim Scott. You know, they got um, uh, thou who shall not be named in Kentucky, you know, where they're using representation politics um, where they are, they're using that tool that the Democrats have been using for so long successfully, and they're trying mm-hmm. to use it themselves. So I believe that um, too many people died for Donald Trump to to win a second term uh, during coronavirus, and it wasn't that they died; it was that he was callous about it. Mm. And so a lot of people just kind of look at it and they're like, "Well, uh, you know, whatever it is, I know I don't want that." And Joe Biden, as much as I hate to admit it, um, even though I have a reason why I disagree with him as the nominee, I think he was the one to make white people feel comfortable. The same reason that Barack Obama chose him in 2008 as his vice president. Mm-hmm. And but the difference between Democrats and Republicans is that the Democrats would never say that shit. Hmm. That's a very interesting idea there. Is the difference between Democrats and Republicans is that Democrats would never say that. I mean, in a way you could say that, but I think Obama's election of Joe Biden is is a, is similar to the strategic thinking of Trump getting Pence to be his vice president. You know, picking Pence to be his vice president all but shored up the support of his of the evangelical wing of the Republican Party in a way that Trump never could because Trump is the living embodiment of the seven deadly sins. Uh, we we don't and, disagree there. <laughs> um, and I, I also look about, think about that as well. When it comes to Democrats, I think when it comes to liberals or progressives, 
uh, he is the least supported candidate among liberals and progressives. Um, even as I'll go as far so far as saying almost hate it uh, because everybody knows what's going to happen when he t takes office. He is going to engage in some of the weakest and worst deals ever, all for the sake of bipartisanship and for the sake of saying that he got things done. But I did a deal. <laughs> yeah. 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 And it just hurts my heart so much knowing that. And I know that I got, you know, tons of friends who are Bernie supporters and Bernie riders. And I myself was a Elizabeth Warren supporter. And I felt like she was the most qualified and uh, experienced in that role because she's actually gotten legislation passed with the McConnell Senate and with um and with every different flavor of liberal and progressive. And she's also been stuck in the craw of Donald Trump in a way that no other liberal um, <clears throat> candidate has. But I'm, I, I wasn't, I wasn't um, fooling myself about her political flaws either. And when I see what's gonna take place with Pence in the White House, I just shudder because he is going to trail and woo conservatives in a way that will give will all but make them certain of their their sense of entitlement. And you said Biden. Yeah, 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 well, yeah, he, Biden. yeah. He meant Biden. Um, Biden. I'm sorry. Yeah, and uh, it, I, I love that. I love that you brought that up um, because. It, it is not just the um, like a specific conservative, like a Bush conservative, right? It's mm -hmm. also um, everybody hates Rahm Emanuel mm -hmm. on all sides of the aisle. Yep. Everybody hates Rahm Emanuel. Yep. And they ran his ass out of Chicago. Right. But the last several months he's been on TV. Um, you know, he's been some kind of, you know, lead strategist and, or of some kind. And apparently he is in position to get a, uh, a cabinet seat. Really? Yeah. And so it's, it's just. Brother favors, man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was, I, I didn't have a problem with Rahm Emanuel in, I guess, in the, in the Obama administration, maybe because I, I just didn't know much about him. But when he became the mayor of Chicago, I, I got a glimpse and it was like, man, this dude is trash. He's beyond trash. He is more of the same kind of politician who is all but willing to stuff, you know, bodies of people and citizens under the rug in favor of his political agenda. You know, one, and one thing I hated hearing all the time because I did not have a real come back to this other than a deflection and making it something about Trump, which I don't, you know, I don't really feel like that's having a good faith conversation. Um, and so I'll try to do it much, but, you know, a lot of people were talking about, um, you know, on the right, Rahm Emanuel, and, you know, he said, you never let a good crisis go to waste. And I, I, I got sick and tired of hearing that, but the honest to God truth is, you know, in a vacuum, and I, I want to make sure to put those brackets around this, this specific statement in a vacuum, there's a lot of the criticism from the right about Rahm Emanuel that I agree with. He is, I don't think he's good for the people is the mm -hmm. way that I'll say it. Right. Um, I think he is good for getting things done, 
Correct. Um, but I think though that's kind of where we are. So you've got Jim Clyburn, who is like, I I don't understand why he is doing this press run. Um, he's made his his position clear, and uh, he did that in the summer that he was against defund the police. Got it. Um, he actually went so far as to say we don't want to defund the police right they can't hijack our movement and it's just like all right bro um now you know he was on on hbo axios um sunday and was talking about um sloganeering kills people Mm -hmm. stay away from sloganeering and it just makes zero sense what politician does not use sloganeering you know, and so you start seeing that there's not even logic to what he's saying other than this is how we've always done it. And this is how I want to do it. And this is my theory of how we'll win, even as we continue to lose house seats. Do you think that's because he's an octogenarian? <laughs> I like what you did there. Um, I do not believe it is because of his age, um, because Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren are not young. Right. And Hillary Clinton is more progressive than Joe Biden, uh, more progressive than uh, Jim Clyburn, whatever. And she's in their age range, you know. Uh, So I actually um, I do want to do a rewind. Um, I was not necessarily a Hillary Clinton supporter. So I do want to put put those brackets on because these days you got to make your, you know, position clear. Uh, but I do think for what it's worth, she was as progressive and showed willingness to change, unlike Joe Biden, as, any, as anybody, you know. Um, actually, she probably showed more willingness to change to bend towards the people's demands than Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris is kind of been like, hey, look, this is what we're going to do. And she's kind of like kind of backtracked on a couple of things and said, well, look, we need to study it. We'll see. Um, one of those things is Green New Deal. One of those things is Medicare for all, you know, um, and where she kind of has signaled to certain things. And then she says, well, let's wait and see. And I, and I think the reason it's important to note that is because just four years later, I think the lesson that they have learned is um, we need to present some type of oppositional force uh, and that's going to be like, it's like a strong man game rather than a, a game on ideology and a game on uh, politics and a game on uh, policy. And the reason I say that is because if you, if you looked at the last, uh, at the two debates that happened, you know, Joe Biden was like, well, no, no, I want to, I, I want to be law and order too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and a lot of it is like, no, I'm stop lying on me, man. I'm this and I'm that. And it's like, yeah, you're, you're, you're basically either right with him or not too far to the left, just kind of buddy, buddy with, with Trump on several key issues, military police being two big issues that, um, you know, over the last 10 years that people have started to care a lot more about. You know what? I want to circle back to the comment you made about Jim Clyburn and wondering why he's doing this press circuit now. I think it's not a press circuit that he has constructed. I think in the analysis of 
uh, you know, doing the autopsy of 2020, people are looking back and saying, you know, hey, Jim Clyburn really was the architect of putting the Biden campaign on life support because coming into the primaries, um, coming into the primaries at the end of the debates, Joe Biden had a uh, 100 to 1 chance of being the Democratic nominee. He was that far out. And because and the reason he was that far out is because it was pretty obvious through the debate. There were several other candidates who are way more progressive, way more realistic, way more future and forward thinking than Joe Biden was. And it wasn't even close. And I mean, he, shit, I, w- I would have voted for Julian Castro. <laughs> bro, Julian Castro, that brother right there, dog. Hey, it would it would have been Elizabeth and Julia, Julian, bro. Julian is that dude. Like honestly, I would have voted for Kamala Harris over Joe Biden. And you know, like I mean, these are not necessarily I would have voted for Kamala over Joe Biden. No, no cap, no cap, bro. No cap. She was a much stronger candidate, especially in the debates. Like she she washed his ass a couple of times. So that that's not even uh I mean Andrew Yang, like Yang Gang was really compelling, especially when you look at a person who came into the race with a, with new ideas and said, "Hey, let's not f- let's stop focusing on uh, on let's stop focusing on the consensus building among the coalition that we have in progressive circles as much as we need to focus on uh, as much as we need to focus on threats to American society that everybody can agree on." And while it may not have been as sexy, it's definitely something that gained a lot of traction because like it or not, Andrew Yang is the only among the only candidate among the the progressives who had among them white nationalists, uh, white suburban soccer moms, black progressives and liberals. I mean, he had a he had the widest um, uh, prism of support. In terms of political support, don't necessarily in, including mean it was the that. Um, so, don't so, mean it was the deepest because Bernie's Bernie's support base was probably deeper and more fanatical than his. But Andrew Yang longer, probably had the had widest and broadest success. Yeah, uh, it, it was just because Bernie had um, a longer time uh, and a longer amount of investment. I think um, in his in his machine that I think that's pretty much the thing. But I love what you you bringing up Andrew Yang. Because this is actually not a new phenomenon, you know, uh, when the Green New Deal was launched, there are uh, Black academics now that will argue to you that the Green New Deal was, I mean, the, excuse me, the original New Deal, FDR's New Deal, Mm -hmm. um, was good for Black people. Correct. When we can see demonstratively, uh, demonstrably, um, what what do they call it now? A K-shaped <laughs> curve on the graph. <laughs> like right. we can see that, right? But enough black folks, at least in in these people's estimation, got something from it that it was good. And and as much as we reflexively say we should not be crafting policy or trying to woo the white working class. I mean, we like the same shit. Like we need the same shit. We need healthcare. We need housing. We need a livable wage, a living wage. 
We need like we we have common needs. Bro, if you um, hear what Julian talks about that when he talk talks about the necessary investment um, to to bring up sustainable housing and living for people, like man, we, that's because so, I, I think it's because he's a mayor too, right? Right, he was um, a mayor of San yeah. Antonio, I believe. Yeah, so so being a mayor. Um, and San Antonio is, I, I don't know what people think of San Antonio. Uh, well, we know what Charles, Charles Barkley thinks of San Antonio. But outside, <laughs> outside of that, um, you know, San Antonio is actually a large city uh, mm-hmm. population. Right. Um, it's boring as hell. I've been there a few times. Don't go if you don't have to. Um, but the reality is, as mayor, you kind of see, hey, look, federal funds, this is how we use federal funds. This is how we use the grants. This is how we use the um, uh, American Re- uh, Recovery and Reinvestment Act, right? right. This, is how, this is how those things are used. So we can, this is how the federal government should be getting these funds into the hands of the mayors. And so I thought that that was a useful thing. But to be honest with you, um, going, circling back to your support of uh, Elizabeth Warren, I think Elizabeth Warren, well, I think Bernie Sanders had the right message. I think he was the wrong messenger because mm. Bernie, by and large, his message was Jesse Jackson Rainbow Coalition. You know, um, mm. it, 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 it wasn't it, it, it was and it's been the same for 50 years or however long. Right. You know, right. Um, but Bernie, um, he has uh, a real blind spot when it comes to race. and mm. He refuses to say poor. Mm. uses to like these none of these folks say poor people like we're doing something for poor people i don't know if it's because of focus groups test groups i don't know why but they refuse to say poor um elizabeth warren uh sorry to cap the thing off with bernie sanders um because he was saying that he was a socialist i think that he also splintered his own support because people who are actually socialists don't like that shit because when it comes to the political education of trying to share with people what socialism really is and how socialism really works and how socialism can be the antidote to what we are experiencing under late stage capitalism, it makes it more difficult because the only thing that people can think of are Bernie Sanders and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Right. And so one thing that I thought that was uh, actually political mastery on on Elizabeth Warren's side is when she said she was a capitalist to the bones, mm-hmm. to her bones, because yep. not that I, I'm anti-capitalist. Uh, so I'm a, I'm just stating this as an observer, but I thought that that was actually probably something that Bernie should have sold is that the Scandinavian Correct. states are actually capitalist, capitalist societies with a large heavily net. socialized. Correct. You know, and so all of, so all of the other stuff he's talking about, he it, it's like this. Um, I don't I don't know some kind of like utopian type of language, right? Um, that people just is it's difficult for them to kind of see the material benefits directly, and so you have a whole lot of people shouting at one another, "Hey, this is what this means, X Y Z." But then when Bernie says it. Like it's it's the same problem I have with Joe Biden. Uh, people are like go to his website. I'm like, well, you don't believe something that's on somebody's website if they don't say that shit, right? <laughs> go to his website. You know, it's like, well, what? Why can't he say it? <laughs> you know what? Like usually, what whatever someone says, you start to understand their priorities. You start to understand like 
which part do they really mean and which part is it kind of like i gotta have to say this because i'm trying to build a big coalition you know like so that's the kind of thing where i think that all of the candidates could have learned from could be learning from each other and rebuilding the democratic party but what it seems is that the democratic party does not feel like it needs to be rebuilt or reimagined for the future right and um this uh can this conservative lean that they're leaning into um i think that we have seen it it, it being telegraphed but there's going to be a lean into austerity and for anybody who Ugh. is curious about that it's after all this coronavirus hit and after all the money that's been lost from the from the quote-unquote gdp um which is mostly how economies are measured they're going to say well this money has to come from somewhere mm -hmm. and so you know, um, sorry, sorry to say this, guys. Joe Biden has, you know, he's consistently been for making a deal that would cut Social Security. You know, like mm -hmm. it's been something that's been consistent across decades for his thing, and that's something that Mitch McConnell would certainly agree with. You know, um, mm -hmm. he's, you know, they're consistently looking at ways where they can say, well, what are things that we can cut? But two things that you'll see that they won't cut: military and police. Correct. Those are things that that are both parties, bipartisan, untouchable budgets. And so with kind of what's going on, I think that when people have said, hey, look, let's get Biden in as a first step, I think it's now time, it's appropriate. We've got a little bit, a little bit more than two months um, to say, okay, what is the next step? And I think that might look different for everyone. I would recommend finding some type of organization where you can get a political education and you can connect with other people so that way you start to understand um, whatever project you're working on um, you know how that can be a tool to be able to um, you know help advocate for certain issues uh, just being frank don't think you're gonna fill out a form on joe biden on, on the whitehouse.gov or with your congressperson and it's gonna do anything i'm just gonna let you know that's something that you need to organize for. What do you, what, ha, what do you, I mean, obviously uh, the Lincoln Project played a big part um, in the Democratic. What? Um, the Lincoln Project, if you don't know. Who? The Lincoln Project. What? <laughs> uh, how do you, how do you figure the Lincoln Project played a big part in this election? I got to hear this too, because I, I, I mean, I just got to hear it. Um, I feel as though I think the uh, the Lincoln Project uh, used a lot of their money. They were very anti-Trump. Um, uh, what they say, an enemy, a friend, an enemy of my enemy is a friend. Or correct. Um, so the Lincoln Project, um, even now to this day, if you go to their their Twitter page, they're bigging up Joe Biden. Um, but my question was, where do you see that going come January twenty first? Uh, they said they were going to be a media company, right? Excuse me? They said they were going to be a media company, right? Oh, I, I didn't see that. Yeah, I feel the need to address something about the idea or the notion that um, the, the Lincoln Project moved the needle in any appreciable way in this election. Um, now, the, the, the Lincoln Project did have some audacious goals about converting conservatives and Republicans to vote for Joe Biden in the, in the general election. And I, based on their media content, 
Your media content was spiffy. It was snappy. It was fast. They always had a, 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 a clap back for Donald Trump and any of his top campaign officials. However, they did not deliver anything when it comes to electoral votes or electing or, or votes in general in mass in any particular demographic, in any state, and anywhere in the United States. It was able to move. Uh, Hell no. Look at the freaking exit polls. 70. Let me, let me break some down to you, bro. More white people voted for Donald Trump in 2020 than did in 2016. Donald Trump as big of a fucking failure as he was and as he is as a president he broadened his base he broadened his like he got I, more votes than 2008 barack obama bro bro do you understand how much of a fucking shit show you have to be and and how trash as a human being you have to be to look at the past 4 years and say okay i'm going to vote for donald trump now like like Dude, it, it is beyond. I don't even have the words to describe how pathological white people are for doing this shit. Now, part of that is on white folks, and part of that is on Trump, because obviously he has developed a strong enough cult of personality to get people to think that 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 it's raining when he's actually pissing on their heads. But in any event. This is the strongest argument against the fucking democracy that that we've ever had in our nation's history. The fact that 71 million people voted for Donald Trump. Well, you know, and the Lincoln Project did nothing, did nothing to curtail that. Now, what the Lincoln Project did do, what one thing I can consider a victory for the Lincoln Project is that they proved to liberals how to effectively castigate this administration that is the only victory that they had they did not change votes in any way shape or form i think that's i think i think that's evident um down down ballot right yeah um and honestly the the more i think about it um i think that there was an understanding that Lincoln Republicans or what have you would only be delivering Joe Biden. <laughs> like the more I think about it, especially like kind of how uh, centrist to conservative Democrats have spoken since after the election, um, I think that it was kind of considered, hey, look, we can, you know, if we get the White House, we can worry about the rest, you know. Uh, and I don't know if that's true. I know there's a lot of energy and effort being put into Ossoff and Warnock here in Georgia. I don't believe both will win. Um, I think Ossoff is probably um, the one who's going to lose. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody knows what the fuck Ossoff stands for. <laughs> like, seriously, I, I haven't, I don't know anybody who does. And, <laughs> and if white people are choosing between somebody who see, who they see as their fucking kid trying to tell them what to do. Uh, was, was it called the um, uh, powder diaper um, theory? Y'all heard about that? No, I haven't. You don't, uh, people don't listen to someone who, uh, uh, if they powder their diaper. And so <laughs> if you're the kid, they don't listen to you. But if you're like the parent who's in late stages of life and you know need some assistance, then you don't listen to that parent. 
And that's what I think people, these white people see when they see Asa. They're like, man, this punk ass kid reminds me of my son trying to tell me that this is the moral high ground and I need to take it. I, I mean, I hope I'm wrong because Purdue needs to go, but I don't necessarily know that Asaf, I mean, what is he going to do? I don't know. You know, I mean, with Democrats having 50 votes, um, if they so do get it. And, and I think there is an argument that a party should be able to take over for a specific amount of time to implement their agenda. Um, I do believe there is a strong Democratic argument for that. Um, I I kind of hope they do so we can stop hearing about Mitch McConnell blocking their shit. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's the it, it is the most basic ass shit. It's like y'all can't even p- pull procedural things. Mitch McConnell was boxing up the whole time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, but know, but that's uh, a that that's a that's a that's a much different argument or a much different conversation we to have because the entire uh, conversation around allowing an administration or a party to accomplish their agenda to see if it works or not is more rooted in this ideology or this fear of the tyranny of the majority when in actuality over the past 400 years of this nation's history we've actually experienced (laughs) we've actually experienced the opposite the tyranny of the minority yep because white land-owning uh slave owners were the minority of the country and yet they owned and controlled everything Um, and they have done so for the duration of this nation's history and for anybody to 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 posit the notion of the tyranny of the majority is not engaging in a conversation in good faith no there's never been a point where the majority of people have engaged in policy for the entire united states we have always been raised we've always been led and ruled over by the minority i like to see the linguistics on that um, because it sounds like something that somebody would say if they were in the minority knowingly ruling over the majority of people. Correct. Like, the tyranny of the majority. Like we can't have that shit now. Well, it was a serious <laughs> concern at the at the at the founding of this nation. It was a consideration. It was a consideration because and that's one of the reasons why we don't have a true democracy. We have a democratic republic. So we have a representative democracy and not a true democracy and will of all people. And you can look at some examples and you can look at some exceptions to the rule. So the Civil Rights Act of 1964, the Civil Rights Act of 1968, the Voting Rights Act, you can look at the 13th, 14th and 15th Amendments and you can say, hey, these were not examples of the tyranny of the minority. Uh, These were uh, counters to that because this gave relief to the minority and or even the 19th amendment the the um the 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 women's suffrage um so there are some cogent examples of that but in real actuality those were blips those were those were the those were anomalies compared to the trend of our society and our nation's history. Or or what would you say to this? Could it have been uh, a culture of domination and uh, hegemony 
basically recalculating or recalibrating mm. uh, to say, hey, well, this is how um, we can maintain a certain certain type of uh, you know minority rule. So, for instance, uh, you know, for this is something that's familiar to you, but for for anybody um, who doesn't understand um, the full implications of race, with whiteness is not really a thing. You know, it is a like a political project or construct. And so, kind of what I see with those blips is people making calculations as to say. Okay, well, we'll we'll admit certain people, um, you know, to provisional whiteness, uh, and that will allow us to be able to accomplish is like a means to an end for us to be able to accomplish um, our overall control of the whole thing, right? Um, because otherwise, like, I mean, what are you going to end up with? Another American Revolution? Damn that, <laughs> you know. That I think I I, I strongly feel that having had a revolution which most of those motherfuckers didn't fight in that's right. what made george washington different mm-hmm. um <laughs> than the rest of them um but having had that they also used the language that people could determine we need a new government and they're supposed to be able to have the god-given right to do that i think that there's always a way to calculate how do we keep people from actually doing that shit? right well, I think it goes back to um, preservation through transformation. It was the uh, the ideology of white supremacy at the turn of the uh, 19th century that said, hey, we're going to have to change some things because uh, we need to evolve in order to remain hidden. And I think that on. is codified throughout our nation's history. I'm with you on that. So let's so so let's talk about um, that transformation um it seems that the uh two major parties and um we can do a whole nother episode about should there be two parties how do you go that all that other shit Bruh. Uh, but that's just a whole nother episode right um but let's this let's duopoly around party oh gosh and a lot of people don't know i i i cannot recall off the top of my head um but there is actually it's a it's a federal law um, that actually funds uh, the two major parties and that uh, in order for any other parties to get federal funding, because there is public funding for some of these parties, it's not a lot, but it's something to be able to establish um, you know, some type of infrastructure, uh, you have to cross the threshold of 5%. And mm-hmm. the libertarians, I think they got to like three, somewhere between three and 4% in 2016. Uh, this year, nobody shot their wad really. Um, and so, um, but they were mad at, they're still mad at the libertarians for that. People like Justin Amash. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway. Justin had, Amash had to do that because he had no, he literally had nowhere else to go. No, once no. He, uh, once he stood on principle, like yeah. no other conservative. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so you got, what's, what is our read on each party? Um, in the next, let's say, two to four years, so that way we can include what what it looks like around midterm and what does it look like around the next presidential election. And I guess we can we can actually even start with the run up to that. What does it look like from what is it, January twentieth? 
um, two years after that, and then two more years after that. Right. We can do that. I'm I'm down. I'm gang. So what you think, Corey? Uh, I, I think I was more prepared for the first question than the second one. Okay. Well, shoot. Um, you know, Joe Biden is going to run to the center. Uh, as you said, he's a, a Republican light almost. Um, what I'm trying to determine is who's going to be able to play defense, right? Because in, in essence, even though the Republicans are the minority in the House, they may be, you know, 50-50 in the Senate. And then it's Joe Biden. Like, what is that argument against Joe Biden um, in four years? Uh, well, let, let me ask you this. How do you get there? How do you, how do you get, like, what is what are the things that Joe Biden proposes, advocates for, and what are some of the ways that so, his party takes shape in those four years? I honestly don't think there's going to be any major legislation passed in the next four years. I think that... Um, as you uh, alluded to earlier, the damage that this, this coronavirus pandemic has done to the country is kind of going to take precedent when it comes to repairing, um, putting money back. Um, and so I don't think there's going to be anything new or exciting for the people. He talked about uh, student loan forgiveness. He talked about free college. He talked about um, health or child care um, not being more than I think seven percent of your income if you were in a certain demographic um, and all that sounds good I am not sure I'm highly doubtful that any of that will pass um, because as we all know what Republicans are good at doing is um, when Trump was in charge they forgot all about the deficit right it was no longer a big deal it was um you know, it was what he was doing was even though we was borrowing money, it was to help us in the long run. And now that we'll have a Democrat in 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 office, it will now change to look at the deficit, look at you know, look at the GDP. What what are you what are you saying, Dave? Huh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't think that we have to be forced to to differentiate our priorities between people and and the economy if that makes sense i agree but for some reason the republicans always seem to be able to control the narrative why are they so much better at it because they're better at messaging their priorities it's easier to slap complex issues with you know one sentence slogan, <laughs> right? I mean, I mean, it's easier. It's much, much easier. Sloganeering. <laughs> Sloganeering. I, I see what you did there. See what I did there? I see what you did. <laughs> Sloganeering. You're absolutely correct. It's much easier to do. And so you're you got you got any uh any any big predictions? My prediction for the first 100 days is that there is going to be a COVID relief bill that's going to be passed in the House and the Senate. It's going to be closer to the size of the original Republican bill that they rejected. And um, 
you know, Biden's going to push for speed rather than efficacy. There is going to be a couple of other um, pharmaceutical companies that come out with a more um, agile uh, COVID-19 vaccine. I'm not as sure if it'll be as effective as the one that Pfizer just uh, approved. But again, you know, options are going to be important for options are going to be important for restoring the country to as close to pre-COVID levels of interaction and uh, travel as they would like it to be. I do think that we are we ha- have yet to feel the pinch and the pangs of the e- economic contraction that first started in March and uh, I, I believe that we'll start feeling them more in March of next year and it will be a much longer recession than we initially expected. I do believe that uh, this is going to force Biden to engage in austerity, honestly, and um, we're going to see the we're actually going to see more center right leanings from the Biden administration than what we saw in the Obama administration. And it's all going to be in the sake of for the sake of expediency. And I think that for the next four years, true liberals and progressives are going to be highly upset, disconcerted, and frustrated by Biden's willingness to play nice with conservatives. And conservatives will be able to engage with Biden in bad faith, take advantage of him for a few quick bills, and still go back to their bases and um, play you know, political games and say that they're unwilling to flinch um, based on Biden's uh, political agenda. And we are going to find ourselves in a um, similar situation in 2024, not in the sense that we'll have another Trump coming, but the real frightening aspect of the Trump presidency is that another president or another politician can be twice as effective at dismantling systems of government as well as deploying cruelty and be able to operate under the radar as long as he's, you know, halfway charismatic and um, effective as a communicator. Like we got the worst version in Donald Trump, but if we have a politician who comes up and who is able to engage in doublespeak in a way like a Marco Rubio or Ted Cruz, it's game over. So that's um, that's a that's a hell of a, uh, a segment there you just did. I'm trying to even think of how to follow it. I mean, cause <laughs> I, 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 honestly, I mean there there isn't much that I disagree with. I I can only see Joe Biden getting things done, quote unquote, getting things done. That's what Joe does, and actually, that is one place where I defend somebody like a Bernie Sanders. Like, do you get things done just to say I get it done or right. do you get things done just because it's popular or do you get, you know, like all those things? I think or do you matters. get the right things done. There you go. So I, I do think that matters 
tremendously, especially when you look at the major legislation that came out of the Obama administration, major legislation that's come out of the Trump administration so far, like has been 98% for corporations and the wealthiest people and very little, if any, for poor and working poor and working class people, you know? Uh, and I think that there is a, um, a thing to American exceptionalism that's the like the pure Puritan work ethic type of thing that goes back to like this neoliberal framework of, um, hey, we've all got to tighten our belt, but it's the federal fucking government. Um, you know, we, we lend and, and borrow in our own currency. We print our own damn money. You know, um, people, when, when people say uh, China, we, China owns us, like, no, they own like treasury notes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like it, and it's, and it's the federal government's decision to pay on them or not. Um, you know, like there's, there's no reason that the federal government just doesn't engage the federal reserve and just say, Hey man, um, print them dollar bills and give them to the people. But we will not see that there. It, it is. I, I, I would gladly be wrong if everybody's needs were met and we started seeing some type of economic progress there. But I think that we actually will see uh, the battle of a lifetime. I think Republicans have come to grips ever since they did that. Uh, what was it? Their um, autopsy of the Republican Party or whatever it was. Um, and that was, I think that was before Donald Trump came along. What was that, 2010? That was uh, around Barack Obama, maybe 2008, 20, 2008, 2009. Okay. It, it was before the, the Tea Party. So that was, yeah, it had to be 2009. Um, so I think they are cool with being this ethno-nationalist, you know, explicitly racist party. I think they're going to try to figure out how to nibble at the edges on like uh, criminal justice to say they did it. Because I mean, I don't think a lot of people talked enough shit about the First Step Act, um, you know, just to be honest with you. Um, you know, they, I think that there are some other things that they might do, but I don't think that it's not a problem to them that uh, because they say systemic racism doesn't exist, you know? So that's their, that's like the party position. So I don't expect to see anything. I think the Democrats though, you got their old people are going to, going to keep dying, just being real. Like, you know, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, she is the one that was that, you know, that passed away, God, bless, God rest her soul. Um, I think that they will have people that um, either because of health or because um, of, unfortunately they'll be taken away from us, that they're not going to be there anymore. The Democrats are gonna to have to figure out, um, do we wanna be party of corporations or do we wanna be a party of people? They've always won by a landslide when it came to being a party for the people. Like that, that's the thing that they've been known for. You know, whether it's directly for the people, whether it's for organized people in labor, whether it's for people movements, that's what they've been known for. Uh, I think that this is something that when AOC put her interview in the New York Times um, this past weekend, um, I think that that was a signal saying, hey, look, she, she I mean, she went as far as the saying she almost quit um, and decided it wasn't worth it, but then ran again just to show it wasn't a fluke. And mm -hmm. so I, th I think there's real energy around 
should we just take this bitch over? <laughs> I think there's real energy around that. So I don't know, man. These next four years are going to be interesting. I don't think the Democrats will necessarily be in a stronger position because how the fuck does Biden get out of this economic shit? You know, like, how do you get out of it? How do you how, how do you deal with your first year as president? People still going to be in the fucking house. You know, I will. I ain't going to front. You know, um, yeah, I can tell, brother, because it looks like you really you do know the barbers are open, right? Yeah. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I actually I'm gonna lock my shit, you know. Uh. Yeah, you know, but that's what I mean, that's what it kind of comes down to. Where we are now is buckle up. I've I I have shared on social media, um, I have shared in private conversations with everybody. If you have as much as five or ten dollars left over at the end of the month, uh consider contributing to uh a mutual aid fund near you because right now people are hurting right now people cannot afford food right now um you know there are still moratoriums in certain places on um rent or on evictions so um you know as far as rent and mortgage uh people are just stacked like they're behind months now several months and so just keep that in mind anybody who's listening and that that, was um not to cut you off, that was one of the reasons why I thought that um, Biden was going to win because, you know, tear everything up and then allow someone else to come in and fix it and then blame them for the problem um, has kind of been the uh, playbook. And, and it's once again, here we Trump are. Didn't win. Trump didn't win because he didn't, he didn't like start a big war. He was trying to. Nah, he just he well he he great he expanded the drones, uh, the drone program, but if he started a big war, he would I think he would have won, even even in coronavirus, because that's the kind of shit that just <laughs> like how else like th- those are the, like coronavirus the COVID nineteen thing was that big it it has been that big, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so like, that's the only thing that you can really kind of do to combat that. Like, you know, if you're looking at it, you know, from a, just a strictly like political position, you know, I don't, I don't think that there was, there's really anything that Trump could have done to win. Um, but I don't, I don't know that he was like, I'm having somebody else clean it up. Like they legitimately thought they would win, you know? Um, and unfortunately it seems like our guests, um, didn't show, um, I've been in communication with my guest all the way up until a few minutes ago, and he still never jumped on. I'm not sure if he chickened out or thought this was going to be a setup because we were inviting uh, Black conservatives or Black Trump supporters onto the show. Unfortunately, we didn't get to that part, Um, but we are going to close out. Um, As I always say, I hope that you were educated. Damn, what did I always say? It's been so long. Nigga, do, you, do you always say it? I, I, <laughs> right. Oh. You always say it. <laughs> I hope that you were enlightened. Come on, LeVar Webster. I hope that you were enlightened and entertained. And I thank you for tuning in to the Milk Duds Podcast. Peace. Peace.